Well, good morning. Good to see all of you here, man. What a great group. Beautiful day. Happy Father's Day. And uh, we're in uh, the second part of our first summer sermon series. Uh, we're calling it Toolkit, How to Study the Bible. And uh, we started out the year with 21 Days of Prayer, Pray First, we called it. And we did a sermon series called It Is Written. And the goal was to uh, get both wings of the Christian life, to get the word and prayer uh, built into your life for the year. I've been encouraging you to read through the Bible uh, this year. And uh, now in this series, we're encouraging you to take the next step and dig in this summer, dig into some Bible study. And last week, we looked at uh, the four main tools of Bible study. Uh, observation, what does it say? Interpretation, what does it mean? Correlation, what other verses explain it? And application, uh, what will I do about it? And today uh, we're going to look at uh, interpretation and correlation and look at specifically how to understand the meaning of a text. And we're going to focus today in John chapter 15. And we're going to look at uh, really some extensive uh, scripture sections today. And so I printed them out uh, for you in a little handout in your worship folder. So you've got both the outline and then you've got a couple of uh, scripture passages in there that we're going to look at. But John chapter 15 talks about bearing fruit in the Christian life. And you may have heard some, some Christians say, well, you know, God doesn't expect us to be successful. He just expects us to be faithful. God doesn't expect us to be successful. He just expects us to be faithful. And that statement is half true. God does expect us to be faithful. But God also expects us to be fruitful. Uh, bearing fruit, fruitfulness, one of the main themes of the New Testament. Listen, folks, God made you. He saved you. He redeemed you. He has gifted you. He has put his Holy Spirit inside of you. God has made a tremendous investment in you. And God expects a return on his investment. God expects you to bear fruit in your life, to live a fruitful life. And one of the key passages that deal with that, a concept of bearing fruit, is John 15. Verses 1 through 17. So we're just going to do the observation step right now and just read through uh, that section. It'll be on your little handout or be up on the screen. Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples." As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. 
If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. Now we can spend weeks on this passage uh, looking at different aspects of it, but today I want to focus on the concept of bearing fruit. What does it mean to bear fruit fruit that lasts. Now, people will say, when it comes to the interpretation step, they'll say, oh, that's just your interpretation of the Bible, as, as if you can have an interpretation, I can have an interpretation, someone else can have an... All God's children can have an interpretation of the Bible that is equally valid. That is not true. Every verse has one and only one meaning. Now, there are multiple applications, depending on your age and station in life and the time of when we live and all of those things. Multiple applications. There's only one interpretation. There's only one meaning for each and every Bible verse. Many applications, one meaning. So it's not a matter of, well, that's just your interpretation. No, there's a right way and a wrong way to interpret the Bible. There are correct ways to do it and incorrect ways. And you've got to understand the rules of interpretation so that you can interpret it correctly and so you can spot it when somebody's not. So here's the first principle, the first uh, rule or tool of Bible interpretation. And that is you must consider the historical context of the verse. You've got to ask, who's being spoken to and why are they being told this? You start with the original meaning of the text. What did it mean to the people that God uh, was talking to then? And so the historical context of John 15 is that it is right in the middle of a four-chapter conversation that took place on the night that Jesus was betrayed and arrested. It's the last conversation between Jesus and and his disciples. He spent three and a half years with these 12 hand-picked men, and he's training them to take over his ministry after he's crucified, risen, and ascends to heaven. And so before he leaves, he takes them to this very private place for a very private conversation. You know, he, what he's saying here, he's not saying to the whole crowd. He's not saying this to the multitude on the mountainside. He's not even saying this in a synagogue or to an assembly. He's saying this to the 12 guys that he loves the dearest and deepest. And so John uh, chapters 13, 14, 15, and 16, it's one extended conversation with the same guys on the same night. So if you're going to understand chapter 15, you've got to go back to chapter 13 and look at the context of these verses. You can't just pull verses out of their context. So I want to take you back to what happened before and what happens after Jesus talks about this bearing fruit thing. 
Because he's, invest, he's invested three and a half years in these disciples. These are his farewell instructions. He is summarizing his teaching. This is the, this is the most important thing that Jesus wants these guys and us uh, to understand. And so they go up to this private room, we call it the upper room, and they celebrate the Passover, and that becomes what we call the Last Supper. You're familiar with the famous painting of that. And that actually becomes what we call communion or the Lord's Supper, that ritual. But John 13, 1 lays out the context for us. On the screen, on your notes here, it says, It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. In John 13, 14, 15, and 16, we see the full extent of Jesus' love for these disciples and ultimately for us. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. And that he had come from God and was returning to God. <laughs> Amazing. He knew that he had all power in the universe. He'd come from God. He was going to God. Look what he does next. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. You know, back then, everybody wore sandals. They all walked on dirty, unpaved streets. The uh, donkeys and camels and goats and everything else had wandered up and down. And so you can imagine by the time you walked to somebody's house what your feet were like. And so as a, an act of service, the, the host or hostess would have the lowliest servant in the house wash your feet. And so here's Jesus. He knows he's the most powerful person in the universe. And what does he do? He does the unexpected. He takes off his outer clothes, wraps a towel around him, and begins to wash the disciples' feet like the lowliest servant in the household. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? I mean, Peter can't believe this is going to happen. Jesus replied, you don't realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. And that's often the case with us. Rarely do we understand what God is doing in our life when he's doing it. Usually it's later when we look back, oh, that's what God was doing at that point. That's when we understand it. And Peter said, no, Lord, which is a contradiction in terms. You can't say no and Lord in the same sentence. You know, if he's Lord, you say yes. Okay. So he said, no, Lord, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash your feet, Peter, you have no part of me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter said, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And I just love Peter. I mean, I love Peter. No, don't wash my feet. Oh, on second thought, give me a bath. I mean, you know, the guy's just, he's all or nothing. Jesus answered, a person who's had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. You are clean, though not every one of you. For Jesus knew who was going to betray him, and that's why he said not everyone was clean. Because at this point, Judas, who's going to betray him, is still in the room. And later, after Judas leaves, Jesus says again, he says, you're all clean. When he finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? Jesus asked them. You call me teacher 
and Lord, and rightly so, for that's what I am. Teacher and Lord, they're two uh, titles that, that uh, deserve tremendous respect. Tremendous respect. But now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, so also you should wash one another's feet. I have set the example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master. Listen, guys, none of you in here is greater than I am. Nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. What's Jesus doing here? He knows that in the coming hours and days, these guys are going to be in grief. They are going to be in shock and disbelief. They are, their world is going to be rocked. And he says, guys, I want you to understand that in the days ahead, you've got to serve one another. You've got to serve one another. You've got to love each other. And he gives them this, this powerful example of humble service. And then for the rest of chapter 13, he emphasizes the fact that they've got to love one another. Then in chapter 14, same conversation, in the upper room, same 11 guys. He gives them four promises to encourage them. And promise one is, don't worry. Yes, I'm going to die, but I will rise again. And then I'm going to go to heaven and prepare a place for you. So don't worry. It's all going to work out. Promise two is, he says, don't worry, because you can talk to me anytime in prayer, even though I'm not gone. You ask anything in my name, I will do it so that the Father can be glorified through the Son. And promise number three, he says, don't worry, because I'm going to put my spirit inside of you. He's going to be your strength. He's going to be your comfort. He's going to be your guide. So don't worry, the Holy Spirit will be with you. He'll be in you. And then the fourth promise, he says, don't worry, because I'm going to give you the gift of peace. Not peace like the world gives you. I'm going to give you a peace that overcomes the world. And so four promises, four promises he gives them. I'm going to heaven to prepare a place for you. You can talk to me anytime in prayer. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you peace. Then at the end of chapter 14, he says, come now, let's leave this place. And so Jesus and the 11 disciples, they come down out of the upper room, they walk out the city gate of Jerusalem, they go down into the Kidron Valley, they start up the Mount of Olives, and they walk to the Garden of Gethsemane. And that's the garden where Jesus is going uh, to pray, and then he's going to be arrested. And so as they're walking, they're walking through the vineyards outside of Jerusalem. They're walking through past all these grapevines that, that are out there in that area. They're there till... Still this day, it's vineyards out there. And as Jesus is walking through the disciples with these vineyards, he uses it as a time for an object lesson. And in chapter 15, he starts with, I'm the true vine, my father's the gardener, and every branch that stays connected to me is going to bear fruit. See, guys, look at all these branches that are connected to the vine. they got these big, luscious grapes on them. But every vine that is disconnected, look at that. There's a dead branch, there's a dead branch there, there's a pile of dead branches there that they're going to burn because they're not useful anymore. They're not bearing fruit. And at the end of the object lesson, he says this in verse 11. He says, I've told you this. I've told you, I've told you all these things. He says, I've talked to you about serving, about loving, about heaven, about praying, about the Holy Spirit, about the gift of peace, about bearing fruit. It's all one conversation. He says, I've told you all this 
so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Okay? Before the darkest days and hours of their life, he sets the groundwork. This is how you're going to find joy. This is how you're going to bear fruit through all of this. So you've got to understand the historical context of what he's talking about. Second principle of interpretation is you must define the key words. You, to get the right meaning out of a Bible verse, you've got to understand what the words in the verse mean. You can't just assume that you know what the words mean. You ever had a misunderstanding with someone where you're using the same word, but it has two different meanings, and so you're confusing each other? My wife and I do that all the time. Okay? I'm using a word, she's using the same word, but we are just talking right past each other. You know, it, it just happens all the time. Because words have multiple meanings. And so you've got to make sure that you understand uh, the exact meaning. In John 15, the word fruit is used nine times in 17 verses. I mean, it's a key verse in this passage. Fruit. Love is used nine times in these 17 verses. Fruit and love. It's all about fruit and love. But what is fruit? If God expects me to bear fruit... I better know what fruit means. And the word fruit and fruitful is used 45 times in the New Testament. It's one of the main themes of the New Testament. But it has at least 10 different meanings. You can't just automatically assume what the word fruit means in John 15. Because in Matthew 3, 8, fruit means repentance. In Matthew 26, 29, fruit means communion wine. In Romans 7, 5, fruit means a sinful lifestyle. Romans 15, 8, fruit means an offering of money. Galatians 5, 22, fruit means the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, meekness, faith. In Ephesians 5, 9, fruit means truth, righteousness, goodness. Colossians 1, 6, fruit means new believers. Hebrews 13, Fruit means the, the fruit of your lips, the praise that you extend to God. I mean, there's all these different meanings of the word fruit. What, what does it mean to bear fruit in John 15? And so that leads us to the third principle of interpretation. You interpret unclear verses with clear ones. So I look for what, what are the clear characteristics about what it means to bear fruit in John 15? What makes sense? And in verse 4, Jesus says, Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. And so this remain means I've got to stay connected. I'm walking through a vineyard, looking at, at vines with branches on it, and the branches that are connected are bearing fruit. The branches that are disconnected are barren. Oh, I get that. The first interpretation is... Bearing fruit, whatever that means, is produced by remaining in Christ. Jesus says, you stay in me, you're going to bear fruit. You don't stay in me, you're not going to bear fruit. You don't stay in me, you can't do anything. So fruit comes from our relationship with Jesus Christ. Whatever bearing fruit is, the more connected I am to Christ, the more fruit I'm going to bear. The more disconnected I become from Christ, the more barren my life becomes. So bearing fruit is produced by remaining in Christ. That's clear. Verse 8, this is to my Father's glory, 
that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So the second thing I write down is, is bearing fruit brings glory to God. It, do, it doesn't just benefit me. I mean, it shows that I'm a disciple, but it doesn't just benefit me. It glorifies God, which I think is just absolutely amazing. Evidently, there is something I can do in my life that increases the glory of God. I mean, how awesome is that? I want to know what that is. Well, it's bearing fruit, whatever that is. Verse 11, we get the third characteristic. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So bearing fruit will give me complete joy. So bearing fruit is produced by remaining in Christ. It brings glory to God, and it's going to give me complete joy. But we're still stuck with the question, okay, what, what is it? What activity does all of that? So to answer that, you go to the fourth principle of interpretation, and that's where you look for the most obvious meaning. It's the exact opposite of what many people do when they come to the Bible. They come to the Bible, they want to find the deep, hidden, secret, mysterious meaning in the Bible. If you go looking for the deep, secret, hidden, mysterious meaning of the Bible, you're going to miss what the Bible really means. Because the Bible is not a secret code book. The Bible was given to us to reveal God, not conceal God. And so this History Channel and Discovery Channel, Secrets of the Bible, How to Break the Code of the Bible, you know, it's a crock of baloney, okay? Because that's not why the Bible was written. God didn't put a bunch of secrets in the Bible. God put truth in the Bible that he wants us to understand and live. And so if I read a Bible verse and if I come up with a deep, dark, mysterious, secret interpretation that no one else has ever had before, guess what? I'm wrong. Okay? I'm wrong. You've know, you got to let the text speak for itself. You've got to see... You've got to let the clear... Uh, help you understand the unclear. And so what's the, the clear meaning of the text here? So we just go back and march through it, looking for what's clear. Verse 7, chapter 15, it says this, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. He's talking about prayer. He's talking about the two wings of the Christian life. You remain in me, you remain in my word, and you pray... You ask whatever you wish, you're going to soar. It's going to work. You're going to bear fruit. So I write this down. Remaining in Christ produces answered prayers. You may ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. And you may say, wait a minute, because I've asked for a lot of things that I didn't get. Whatever you wish for. Yeah, right. Well, let me ask you. Were you seriously remaining in Christ when you asked for those things? Were you seriously connected with Christ? Or were you asking out of your own needs, wants, and desires? Because if I'm solidly connected with Christ, it's going to impact the way that I pray. Jesus teaches us to pray in the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. So when I'm praying... And am I praying for God's will to be done, or am I praying for my will to be done? Oh, Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? <laughs> my friends all drive Porsches. I must make amends. You know, what are you praying for? 
You know, you, you don't ask God to do what you think God should do. No, you pray, you say, God, I really want you to do what thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And when you pray that way, your prayer is going to be answered. So the first point is remaining in Christ produces answered prayer. Uh, second thing we learned, John 14, 13. This is that correlation thing. We're going to another verse to see how it correlates with John 15. Same conversation, same 11 guys, same historical context. I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. And so write this down. Answered prayer brings glory to God. When you ask for something in Jesus' name and he gives it to you, who gets the glory? God does. God does. God gets the credit when prayers get answered. Another correlating verse, John 16, 24. This is after this section. Same conversation, same guys, same context. Jesus says, until now, you've not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Well, where have we heard that phrase before? You know, he, he said earlier that when you bear fruit, your joy will be complete. So third thing, write this down. Answered prayer gives me complete joy. Over 20 times in the New Testament, we are commanded to ask in prayer. Ask, and it shall be given. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. You have not because you ask not. So Jesus, in his final words to his disciples, guys, I'm not going to be here anymore. I'm going to leave, but I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you my peace, and don't worry. You can talk to me anytime. You can talk to me anytime. You can ask I will answer. So remaining in Christ produces answered prayer. Remaining in Christ brings glory to God. Remaining in Christ brings me complete joy. Bearing fruit is produced by remaining in Christ. Bearing fruit brings glory to God. Bearing fruit gives me complete joy. Answered prayers come from remaining in Christ. Answered prayer brings glory to God. Answered prayer gives me complete joy. Okay? If I'm going to bear fruit, it's going to come out of prayer. Remaining in Christ and praying. And just in case you missed it, he ends uh, the conversation. John 15, 16 says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. And then what does he talk about immediately after that? Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. It's prayer. Prayer is how we bear fruit. So, looking at the historical context, defining the key words, letting the clear uh, answer the unclear, looking for the obvious meaning of the text, you can write this down. I bear fruit by asking in prayer. I bear fruit by asking in prayer. The problem is, we treat prayer like a spare tire. You know, you have a flat, you drag the spare out of the trunk and put it on because you're in trouble. And when we get in trouble, then we pull out prayer. In fact, we say, all we can do now is pray. Okay? It's the last resort. God doesn't want you to use prayer as your spare tire. God wants prayer to be the steering wheel. God wants prayer to be the engine that is driving your life. If you want to bear fruit, you do it by praying. 
The more you pray, the more fruit you're going to have in your life. The more you pray, the more glory you bring to God. The more you pray, the more joy you're going to have. It's one of the two wings of the Christian life. I've got to spend time in the Word. I've got to read it, I've got to study it, and I've got to pray. Otherwise, I'm never going to get off the ground. In Bible study, Bible study is not complete. It's not a Bible study until you ask the application step. What will I do about it? What's the personal application that flows out of this? Jesus says in John 13, 17, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. If you put into practice what I've learned out of the study, if I, take, if I put into practice what I've learned out of the Word, I'm going to be blessed. My joy will be complete. That's why the last thing we need to do here today is just write out an application. On those blank lines on the body of your outline, you just need to write out one sentence. What am I going to pray about this week? What do I want to bear fruit? What area of my life do I want to bear fruit because I am asking in prayer? Is it in your finances, in your marriage, in your health, your job, in your education? Jesus tells us, ask. Ask in my name. I'll answer. God will get the glory. You'll be happy about it. So the Bible tells us, you have not because you ask not. So I want you to write something down there, and this week, ask. Soar on those wings. Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you that you loved us. And you created us to bear fruit. You do not want our lives to be barren. You do not want our relationships to be barren. You want our lives to bear much fruit. And God, I thank you that you created the whole idea of prayer so that we could talk to you. I mean, what a privilege that you, the most powerful being in the universe, that you have said we can come and talk to you anytime. You'll hear us and you'll answer. God, that's just amazing. I thank you that, that you want me to be filled with joy. You want my joy to be complete. You said it over and over and over again, and you told me how. So God, for, forgive us, forgive me for not praying more. Forgive us for treating prayer like, like a spare tire instead of like, like the steering wheel, instead of the engine that drives our lives. God, I just pray for a church full of fruit bearers. Men and women who are bearing fruit in their career, in their families, in their lives, in every area of their life through answered prayer. And if you're here today and you've never made that, never prayed that prayer that connects you to the vine, if you've, if you've just been disconnected from Christ, this is your moment to just say, Jesus, come into my life right now. Save me. Change me. I don't want my life to be barren. I, I want to produce results. I want to be a fruitful person. So Lord, save me. Give me that new, eternal, abundant life that you offer to those who trust in you. God, teach me to pray and to trust you and to love you and to love others so that I can bear much fruit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.